the optimal life. Meg, welcome. Hi, thank you. So the troubled teen industry. Yes. Quite a yes. topic. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a very interesting topic for sure. What made you want to get into this industry? Why are you so passionate about this? Oh, man. So uh, pretty much because of my lived experiences, to be honest. When I was 15, I was actually abducted in the middle of the night by two strangers that told me we can do this the easy way or the hard way. You're coming with us. And I was taken to two different facilities over the course of the next three and a half years and experienced abuse. And I just really don't want other youth to be going through that. Why do they do that? Why did these masked men come into the home late at night and, and swoop you away? What, what was going on? So it's pretty much, uh, so whether it's parents or whether it's from the school system or judicial system, the kids are being sent into this industry because of a mentality of wanting to fix them, right? These are all programs that have behavior modification techniques and other non-evidence-based techniques that they're using to really reform youth. And But oftentimes they're being sent for really normal teenage behaviors. So things like talking back and skipping school and smoking weed and things like that. So really a lot of our work with Unsilenced is working to depathologize adolescents and also mental health in general. So what were you doing? Why were your parents frustrated <laughs> with you, Meg? I, what, what, is that what happens? That's the process. The parents are obviously concerned about something and then they contact an agency. What What was, how does that work? So there's a, yeah. So to answer your first part of your question is I was really doing the things that I mentioned. I was starting to skip school. I started to smoke weed because I was having anxiety and really wanting to fit in. I ended up getting expelled from, from school. So it kind of left my parents with a, now what do we do feeling? And so they went the route, which is really common with uh, parents. Let me interrupt kids. you real quick. Mm -hmm. Let me just interrupt you. You yeah. got, you got expelled. You were in what? Sophomore year? Freshman. Freshman year of high school. And you got expelled, meaning you I can't did. come back. I cannot come back. No. Nope. What was that? Was that, I mean, th that day that you got expelled, what was that moment like for you? It was honestly, it wasn't a huge deal in my head. I mean, I was only 15. So I figured, oh, I just go to another school. I didn't. Well, and I still feel to this day, I didn't do something that would equal expulsion. What happens in California, they have zero tolerance policies, which means that if you skip out on school and when you're off campus, you do anything that you're not allowed to, you get expelled, even though you're not on campus. So I drank off campus and therefore I got expelled. So, mm. I, so you, yeah. you didn't, you didn't look at it as devastating because you were like, well, okay, good. I'm on vacation. now." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of like, oh, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, mm. I found out what the worst that can happen was. Okay. So I, I interrupted you, but you were saying that your parents, they do go ahead. They you, yeah. you were doing these things and then go ahead. So basically they went the route that a lot of parents go down, which is talking to education consultants. And I say that in quotes because they really don't have the qualifications to be recommending these things. And a lot of times they're recommending programs that they either get kickbacks from or they've never even visited. So my parents went down that route and you end up spending thousands of dollars on this education consultant only for them to use you know, fear mongering to get parents to send their kids there and saying things like, oh my gosh, it sounds like Meg is really having some tough issues. If you're not careful, she's going to end up on the streets and running away and pregnant and, and all of that stuff. So 
they really scare parents into making these decisions and thinking it's the last res- it's the last resort the last do thing they, they have can do. they have certain facilities that they work with they say hey here's the ones we recommend yeah a lot of a lot of them do and they have their go-to places they send to and we've really found that a lot of them get kickbacks from these facilities for every person that they send and these kids are being you know these facilities are charging per day per kid so it's mm it's really like trafficking if you look at it and they're oftentimes being sent from one state to another usually these programs are in states where they have really lax regulations and medical autonomy so that they can do whatever they want to these kids and the fact that the parents are signing away their rights to these facilities for temporary custody it's like there's really nothing parents can do so, and this is not a cheap thing, right? This is extremely no. costly. What is it? What's an average price per month for like it's a, a? So it's such a broad range, but I'd say anywhere from five to thirty thousand dollars a month. Five and, to thirty. And 30 that's a just, month. Oh yeah, and that's just parent placement. If you get into the actual like public funds, there's twenty three billion of our tax dollars going towards sending these kids there. And then, so you were there for three years. What do you, three what did, and a half, did, you yep. did you come home at all in between? So I went to one facility that was like a lockdown hospital and it was horrendous. And that was for six months. And then I got a week break with my parents. And then I had to go to quote therapeutic boarding school for another three years. So while I was in the boarding school, once you get to a high enough level, you're able to go on home visits once you're able to be trusted you know, so I did get to see my parents. They would they would be allowed to come up and visit me as well in Montana and kind of hang out for a day or two as well. But so you went from California, which is where you lived to Montana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So California to um, I actually went to Idaho for the first program and then to Montana for the second one. I see. And then I was 18 and a half when I got out and when I graduated the program and I went basically a month and a half at home with my parents in a new city because they had moved to Chicago. So after that, I went straight to college. So I was really not reintegrated into society until college. So that was a really big awakening. You said that there was that six month period inside that one facility, which was horrendous. What were some Mm -hmm. of the conditions you experienced? So it was a psychiatric facility. So we were on complete lockdown. We're, you know, talking about magnetic doors and you can't leave your room. You can't even get up in the middle of the night without letting staff know and the alarm goes off. You know, it's very much so losing all autonomy whatsoever. And I experienced um, isolation, seclusion. They had a quiet room that was like a padded room and a bed in the middle. And if a kid, you know, acted out, they would restrain the kid, pull their pants down, shoot them up with some kind of medication to make them paralyzed and then carry them to the quiet room. It, it was it was really scary, especially for a kid that has never seen any of this kind of stuff go on. One of the things, too, I saw, because this is not always just behavioral or bad behavior. One of the things that I saw was this conversion therapy. Pray yeah. the gay away. Pray the gay away. What it's, does that, what is the, I mean, that's one of the most asinine things I've ever heard. What, what I is know. That? I mean, a lot of different programs uh, utilize conversion therapy and they don't really call it conversion therapy anymore because obviously you look at it and you're like, what? Why would, you know, this doesn't even make sense. And like, I think it's 23 states have it 
completely banned, but it doesn't matter, right? They can, they, especially for uh, religious academies, because they have exemptions from regulations. So they can say that this is part of our religion. This is what we believe. And therefore the government doesn't have any say over what they're doing. So they could very much be like, well, it's actually part of our, our, our religion to put this boy in a dress and ridicule him and make fun of him for being gay. You know, like that, they can say that that's part of their program because that's part of their religion. I mean, it's absolutely messed up. But what happens? These parents are sending their homosexual child oh, yeah. to these facilities because they want their child to be uh, uh, this to re be reversed and become oh, straight. Yeah. Is that their oh, yeah. is that their intention? Uh -huh. I mean, for some parents, for sure. Some parents are told uh, by programs or just their own beliefs or family and friends that they're only gay because of maybe trauma in their in their in their um, childhood, or it can be fixed, or it's just a behavioral lifestyle change that needs to happen. And so, parents ultimately are trying to conform the children to be more in their own ideals and their own, you know, morals versus what the child is, you know. Did you so imagine I think, somebody saying, can you pray the straight away? I know, right? Like, like no, I, you either are or you aren't. I mean, I, know. I don't care I know. how much, what your relationship is with, with your God or whoever this is, this is that you're praying to pray away. Yeah, yeah. I know. I and that. it's, and Absolutely. it's so harmful, especially especially for the LGBTQ plus people, yeah. because there's already that feeling of, oh, gosh, I don't fit in. And you're just going through your teenage years. And, you know, honestly, with there is a really high suicide rate um, and suicidality and ideation with that group. And so s subjecting them to this kind of stuff is just so, so horrible for them. Uh, so it really, it really hurts me to think yeah. about that stuff. Well, the parents quite often are the issues too. I mean, oh, I yeah. know the kids aren't perfect, right? right? You were doing things that you shouldn't have done, but quite often the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And what I mean <laughs> yes. is you may be doing, you may be acting out, whether it's you, Meg, or the thousands and hundreds of thousands of others or millions of, of kids that are experiencing this. They're acting out because of maybe something that they're being exposed to by their parents. Mm -hmm. The way that they were brought up, the way that they were raised, the way that they were talked to, treated, mistreated, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yep. And then they are the effect of that cause. Right. Well, and even if you look at the kids in this industry, we, there's a really high rate of adopted kids. I was adopted myself and programs actually, they target us because they know we're going to have issues with attachment. They know we're going to have some kind of trauma in early childhood because of it. And so a lot of times there's some kind of early trauma that goes on. And then when they start to get older, they start to process that trauma and you'll start to see behaviors. And so that's when parents are like, oh, we need to send them to this program. So we are actually trying to fix trauma by creating more trauma. If you right. if you put it like that, you Absolutely. know, so yeah. it's, it's really, really, really sad. Um, it is very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's conversion therapy, but there's multiple names for these different things, right? There's yes. like a whole myriad. I saw the video that that's on your website. Oh, you did. Okay, great. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, and they have real fancy names, like very, very sweet, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about some of these other therapies or modalities or whatever they're calling them that they are trying to market as, Hey, we're here to help. Right. I mean, they come in many different names. Like, like I said, therapeutic boarding school, like I went to behavior modification programs, foster care facilities, even residential treatment centers, boot camps, conversion camps, religious facilities, wilderness. There's so many different types, but one thing really just goes across the board is that 
they use this deceptive marketing to try to lure in these decision makers to get their kids to go there. So if you go to my programs, you know, site, you've got like this awesome, like view from a drone that shows the horses and the lakes and, oh, look at this, look at these kids playing together. They're having so much fun. It's like a family. And they, they also use like buzzwords like DBT and CBT and trauma-informed care to lure in these people. And in reality, uh, in our research, we're finding that not only do most of these not even use CBT or DBT techniques, but if they do, they're using it in ways that it's not intended to be. For instance, like using CBT as a mean of a punishment or a consequence for a behavior instead of like being actual therapy right it's always mm. in a consequence form wait, wait, you said uh, that's cognitive behavioral therapy yeah yeah okay interesting mm -hmm. yeah so across the board though you have found there to be so many commonalities and similar similarities across this country for teen youth teenagers that are being placed into these boarding homes for less lack of a better word they're all right it's, it's basically boarding school yeah congregate care facilities right yeah. And mm -hmm. but across the board, there are common themes that you're trying to shed a spotlight on and create reform. What are some of the major like major things that are really very, very concerning to you? I'd say the biggest one is that this is such an old practice, like this has been going on in this industry for over 50 years. And if you trace back the history of the TTI, it goes back to a cult. So we are literally facing, quote, treatment for these young impressionable teens based on cult. That's really what we're doing. And it's all stemmed from that. So that's one really big concern. The second concern is that it's non-evidence-based. This is honestly non-evidence-based. And even if we take the abuse we know is going on in these facilities away and just pretend it's not there anymore, the act of removing a child from their home from their community, from their family, and forcing them to live their life away outside of their community isn't of itself abusive. And we're not even looking at that. So the program owners that can say, oh, well, ours is different. We've got horses. We've got this. We've got that. We're different. It's like, no, because you're keeping children from one to three years in these facilities, despite there not being evidence to keep them in there, in that facility. And they're using, you know, diagnosis codes that allows for them to have extended care, right? So they're incentivized by that per night payment versus actually getting better. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is really concerning is I myself and, you know, most of the people that I associate with look at mental health care as healthcare. It's, it's one and the same. It's just as important as making sure your body is in good shape. And nowhere ever would you go to a cardiologist with chest pain and they say, oh my gosh, we need to do surgery right now without any tests. And that's, that's really what we're doing. We are making a very dramatic decision, sending these children away before we actually know what's going on, right? We don't know what's causing these behaviors. We're not doing everything we can to keep them in their community. And then we are labeling them as an issue and saying, you need to work out this issue away from your support system. And if you think about the trauma that can come from just that, just that decision alone, it's it's tremendous. Who's responsible for this? Is it is it the system? Is it the agency? Is it the boarding schools? Is it the parents? Is it all of the above? Who's Who's culpable? Honestly, it, 
and and we say this in our mission, like this is going to take social change to happen. There are so many different routes and and pipelines that kids get into these facilities. It's really not just the parents and helping them understand what's going on in these facilities. It's also helping the school systems understand. Kids are being sent with federal funds uh, to the facilities from IEPs because they have ADHD and can't fit into any of the schools in their area. They'll be sent to these programs from juvenile justice, um, from child placing agencies like foster care. And so it's really all of that, plus the government and the states. There is basically no regulations for these facilities. So, and a lot of them are left up to the states. And then, like I said, we have a lot of those exemptions for any kind of religious schools and uh, facilities. So there's just so many loopholes. Yeah. One of the problems to me seems like the fact that they're charging a monthly retainer because mm. you're incented to keep the child yes. there. Exactly. You're incented exactly. to keep the child there. If they're making it, listen, follow the money. I don't care what it is in this yes. world. Yep. Follow the money and you will have the answers. And if they're incent, you know, if it was a flat fee for the year and it didn't, you know what I mean? One flat fee, whether your kid's here for four weeks or 36 weeks or 50 weeks, whatever, I think that that would probably be a good starting point. Right. Right. Well, and and if you look at if you look at hospitals, I keep I keep referencing hospitals because it should be the same, right? Hospitals and what they're paid and how and how um the funding they get and everything like that is based off of feedback. It's based off of surveys. How did the doctor do? How did you feel in this environment? How are we doing as a hospital? But there is none of that going on. None of it is based on any kind of evidence or anything. In fact, the studies that the industry has that says, for instance, that wilderness works is done while the child is still in the wilderness program about to graduate and they have them fill out a survey. So it's like they're obviously incentivized to not be honest. They're about to graduate and get to go home. They're going to say whatever they want to say, right? And or they're talking to the parents and saying, how is the kid doing? Was it successful? Instead of talking to the kids and for people like me, like I didn't wake up to the abuse that I experienced until I was 33 years old because I was so brainwashed, 100 mm. percent brainwashed into thinking that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, wow. no, it wasn't. You actually thought that for the last for 15 years of your life. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Into your adulthood that, yep. that my, my my youth, my teenage, my high school years were the best thing that could have happened to me. That that set me on the right direction. I literally, until I was 33, would have said that this program saved my life because what that's was what was your they epiphany moment that changed that that approach. So one of my um, so the the therapeutic boarding school I went to was called Chrysalis, and one of my Chrysalis sisters, one of the girls I was with in the program, committed suicide, and it really caused me to take a look, and all of a sudden the narrative changed. And when that narrative changed, oh my gosh, I spiraled. It was like a period of two years of constant epiphanies and then breaking down from the epiphany and then another epiphany. And it just keeps going and going and going as you realize the the narrative you thought was in your head and what was correct is actually completely bogus and was implanted there. And it was it's super traumatic to wake up. And that happened to you as a teenager. Imagine these young kids at three, four, five years old. You want to yeah. talk about being easily manipulated. We, we Look at what happened to you as an almost an adult. I know. And that's why so many kids grow up in these systems or or in these households where whatever they're being taught from the age of two, three years old, that becomes yep. their programming. Yep. 
Absolutely. And the younger you are, the easier. I mean, it's just, it becomes who you are, right? But right. even at even at 15 to 18, your brain isn't done forming until you're like 23. So we're so impressionable. Correct. And, you know, even my parents, my parents woke up when I woke up because I, I mean, and I love my parents. My parents made that decision out of love. They followed four different professionals advice and they thought they were doing the right thing. And they had no idea until I came to them and was like, hey, by the way, I'm traumatized. <laughs> and thank God that they're who they are. They were like, I'm sorry I made that decision. And they're able to own it. But uh, I'm so lucky because most survivors, parents don't react in that way. They really minimize what we go through, say, well, look at you now. You're successful. So it was a good idea. It was a good call. And it's just it's not the case because so many of us suffer silently for the rest of our lives. So were you sexually abused in any of those facilities? So I was actually sexually assaulted before I got sent away. So I was going through trauma when I got sent away. And I would say that there was some uncomfortable, I wouldn't say sexual assaults, but almost uh, what I felt to be and experienced as kind of grooming inappropriate situations that occurred that made me now as an adult feel very comfortable. And like, I have four kids. And if I think about one of them, that happening to one of them, it would, it, it, I would be livid. What, what's so, an example of, groom, of what's an example, Meg, of, of grooming? So in my mind, you know, any kind of contact between someone who's supposed to be your therapist and especially like a male therapist, um, in my mind is supposed to, you know, no physical contact, right? That's just kind of like what I'm taught now. Having had now a psychology degree, like that's inappropriate to have any physical contact. And so the one of the owners of our program was a male and he would like let us sit on his lap and he would like put his arm around us and tell us he loves us and, and things like that. And so look in the moment back then I was like, oh, it's my family and that's okay. That's what families do. Now, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, that's so inappropriate because I I am not his child and he's my therapist right. and it's super unethical. And, you know, that's just kind of how I've classified it. Now, if the law classifies it like that, I'm not sure, but that's definitely how I experienced it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, so that you were experienced, you were was the grooming all from males or was it female and males? That were grooming. So, you. I mean, I, and I don't even know, like uh, there was a, a need to get his attention. It was an all girl therapeutic boarding school. So all the girls really wanted his attention because we kind of looked at him like a dad. And so I would say that it was really everyone, in my opinion. Um, and it, but there was really only two owners. And so the way that this program worked, it's really interesting because they're a married couple and we live in a cabin in the middle of the woods with 10 girls and there are therapists and we live in the house with them. Like I shared a bathroom with them. I lived in the room next to them, <laughs> like just really like inappropriate scenarios nowadays to look back. Um, but as far as the staff members, I never felt anything uh, in that in that realm at all. Um, I think the really I really felt like the only inappropriate stuff in that line um it really came from just one of them but so what was your trauma where, where where did your trauma stem from once you woke up at 33 give us a few things that were when you dug in dug in deep what was causing you that pain 
So one of the things that is definitely traced back to that cult that I talked about, Synanon, which is still going on nowadays in programs, but they have used a different name, is uh, what we had in Chrysalis called Circle. And Circle was, quote, group therapy. But honestly, it was basically you are sitting in the hot seat and everyone in the circle is basically telling you everything that's wrong with you, the ways that you need to change. You cannot respond. If you cry, if you respond, you're being defensive. Um, and so you basically have to sit and hear all of these nasty things about yourself. And a lot of times those things that they're saying, they're only saying or making up because they want to get ahead in the program and they're being seen as a leader by holding someone accountable. So it basically, that component of the program really taught me and groomed me to be a perfect abuse victim. When you're being treated horribly, zip it. Don't say anything. Keep well, what it are yourself. some of the things that they were saying? Give some examples. They, they would, would say, they would say things like, uh, you know, you're lazy, you're dramatic. If you don't change who you are, um, you're never going to be accepted into society. No one's ever going to want to be around you. You're here because your parents sent you here. You're the issue. Um, at one point in time, I asked uh, the male owner, uh, do you think I was about to go to college? I said, do you think I'm smart enough to be a doctor? And he's like, or for medical school. And he's like, uh, I don't know about that. So like kind of downplaying, like just making me feel like I'm nothing. And uh, if I'm proud of something, they'll kind of knock you down to make sure you don't feel as proud. That's kind of how I felt that they were always trying to make sure you know your place. Right. And and then any any kind of acting out was met with, you know, forced labor. So any kind of consequence you had to do 30 minute or uh, 30 minute increments of consequences. So if you had a really bad behavior, you did you could do like two hours of wheelbarrow like manure from one side to another or rocks just for no reason, just putting rocks in a wheelbarrow, moving it over there, building fences, baling hay. Um, wow. just, yeah, just doing lots of physical labor to kind of like break us, to make us not want to do, make another mistake. Yeah. Um, so, keep your, so wait a second. In this example, you're sitting in a circle mm -hmm. and everyone's going around and they're, you, you're, you're horrible. You're a failure. You failed your parents. The reason you're here is because nobody likes you, whatever they're saying. Yeah. And if you try to defend yourself, would they say, all right, it's time for hard, North Korean hard labor here? Not at that moment. It would Not be it, no. So that that would be for like access. If, if you were hungry and you took a granola bar, you'd have a consequence of hard labor. Or if you took milk during times when you're not allowed to have milk, you would have like a consequence. But what about Usually, if you defended yourself? Because you said that if you, you weren't defended to yourself. Defend yeah, then it would be more of it. Like uh, the owner would come in and start talking instead of the girls and be like, you know, you're not taking responsibility for your actions. And if you don't start to do this, then you could you he basically tells you that you're going to fall back in the program, meaning you're not going to have as many uh, privileges. And that's the one thing that you want when you're in the program is to go home. Right. So you want to be constantly moving up the level system and getting more privileges and more privileges. So basically they'll give you the impression that you're making bad decisions and that's going to have negative consequences to your treatment program. And that is even more scary than forced labor. So like them telling me that, like that they're disappointed in you is, oh, that's even worse. I'd rather do work, do forced labor. They were actually that. destroying your guy's sense of self, self-worth. Yes. Yes. Whatever you had left even yes. going out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're supposed and to that's be building of... you up and getting you back into society. They are completely stripping you. This is this is a common theme across the country. Yes. Every program that I know, there is some kind of 
breaking down the teen or the youth to build them back up in whatever system they want. And which is why I really equate these types of programs with cults. It is extremely similar. And the kind of doctor indoctrination that happens it it's across the board honestly talk about your uh organization unsilenced.org yeah um, unsilenced yeah yeah unsilenced who who exactly are are you guys and, and what's your mission yeah so we are a nonprofit organization that serves the past present and future victims of institutional child abuse and we our mission is to really stop institutional child abuse by empowering self-advocates to create lasting social change. So, you know, we use education, awareness, community support, and policy change to really protect the civil, social, and human rights of youth. And um, we do it in many ways, but really the, the two main ways that we provide support is to interrupt that we have something called Project Speak. Speak stands for survivor prevention through education, awareness, and knowledge. And that is us going into communities and educating the decision makers that are making these decisions to interrupt that community to institution pipeline. And then we also have the actual support for people who are already survivors, unfortunately. So we have our independence packs which are backpacks that are for kids who just age out of the program, meaning they turn 18 in the program and they're left out on the street and potentially facing homelessness. And these bags have a laptop, a gift card, tons of resources for, you know, where to find shelter and mental health resources, LGBTQ plus resources, et cetera. And so we're shipping those across the United States to survivors that are in need. And then we also are offering uh, support groups for the community. And, you know, making sure that we give back to the community because we all, I mean, across the board, all of us suffer in one way or another from our lived experiences. Yes, no doubt. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So what's the alternative then, Meg? You've got uh, you've got a parent that's in that finds himself in a similar position that your parents did. And their freshman son or daughter is uh, they're They're at a loss. What's what's the alternative to these boarding schools? I think the alternative is honestly changing the way we think about the behaviors that they're eliciting, right? I think first of all, um, and, and as a parent of four of four kids, one of which is really entering this age group of like starting to talk back and do all these things, is instead of thinking, how can I change them? Let me get them to a therapist. What can I do for them? Really changing the narrative and being like, hey, I need to get a therapist as a parent. I need to get a parent coach. I need help and how to be a better mom to this child that has, you know, and every kid has different sets of needs. And that's the first thing that we need to really change the way it's not about fixing it. It's about how do we change ourselves? We're the adults. We don't, we can't expect a 15, 16 year old, sometimes even 12 year old to change. We we're the ones that are responsible for, for that. We're capable of that. So that's the number one thing. And then the second thing is just really realizing and de-pathologizing these, um, these behaviors and understanding that this is normal. Kids sneaking out of the house, that's normal. It, they're not going to be sneaking out of the house for the next 40 years. I promise. It, it's, it's not going to continue. Kids, you kids know? smoking a cigarette or maybe even a it, little yep, weed. Uh, yep. And it's right. just like, and if a parent came to me and said, you know, but my kid's smoking weed every day, I'd be like, it's a lot better than dealing with PTSD every day. It is. Mm. And the research supports that kids that start doing drugs in their teen years, that when they enter into the career world, it does go down and it and it tapers out. In fact, like that's historically what has been shown happens. If you don't do anything, 
as far as like put them in treatment or anything like that, it will go down. And yes, some addicts will, you know, come out of that, but they will be so much better, so much better off if they're an addict without being institutionalized than if they're an addict with institutionalization. Yeah. The, the, the one thing, and again, I, everyone's different, but I look at parents that were like your parents or all these millions of parents that are sending their kids off. My kid's a problem. I don't want the problem anymore. Let the system deal with them. Let these, these schools deal with them. And to me, it's, it's counterintuitive that if your own child, if you can't get your own child to conform in this respectful way or the way that you ex- hope that he or she would, why do you think that some random group of people who are incentivized to keep your kids there based upon financial incentives and to have <clears throat> control and maybe potentially putting your kids in, in the in the hands of, of predators? I assume there's predators out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's oh, there's yeah. no doubt. Tons. I don't even care if they sitting you sitting on the psychologist's lap, the, the head of the school's lap, yeah, as a 16 or 15 year old, that's a predator. Yeah. I mean, looking back, you 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 have to assume that there's bad behavior going on. So I just find it somewhat baffling to me. Listen, I've got kids too, and I I understand it could be frustrating at times, but yeah. you're just you're just throwing the towel, like, hey, I can't I can't teach my kids right from wrong. Somebody else has to now. Like it just seems like a weird part of the, the the mentality of the parents to just kind of say, I'm inferior, I'm weak, I'm not able to do this. I need you, Mr. Stranger, to take care of my child now. Mm-hmm. And good luck. Bring them back in three years straightened up. I know. I know. And it's it's so interesting because we've created these residential melting pots, if you will, of kids that are struggling. And the the facilities that are holding them are claiming to like fix a broad myriad of uh, disorders and symptoms. And it's just impossible. It's impossible to be able to treat all of those, especially when they don't even have like benchmark requirements for their staff. A lot of their staff have never worked with kids. They're straight out of college. They're being paid like minimum wage. So it's like, how how are we expecting that this is going to change anything? Especially for, let's just pretend, because I get, I get this com- comment a lot too, like what happens if it's actual, like really bad behavior? Like the, let's say a child is hurting their siblings and wanting to harm other kids. Let's just say it's super bad like that. The research actually shows that for kids that are sh- showing antisocial, um, you know, symptoms or or actual wanting to harm people, that putting them in settings where they're around other kids doing it makes it worse. It increases manipulative tactics and it makes them worse. So nothing is supporting sending these kids to these facilities. Mm, you can't incredible. really, it, it's you can't think of one mm. scenario where it would be worth it. Uh, to, before we finish it off, give us yeah. just maybe one of the worst things that uh, I mean, you've you've talked to so many people. There's people involved in your organization. This is what you do. Uh, you know, talking to families and, and people that have gone through the system. Give us a horror story. What's like the worst thing? One of the worst things you've ever heard uh, a child has been um, exposed to. Honestly, um, there's a couple. Uh, first would be. Uh, I know plenty of people who were raped um, by their therapists, by other uh, students in the program. Uh, That is absolutely horrific to me. Um, I know so many students who went to the program at 14 or 15 and had forced pap smears without 
giving any consent. Um, uh, but actually one of the, one of the worst that I know of is actually a chrysalis sister of mine. And she was extremely active in the program and one of the favorites of the owner. And she ran and on uh, cross country and things like that. And she started having pain and for months and months and months, and you don't complain about pain in my program, you will be called dramatic. So she didn't complain. And then all of a sudden she woke up one day and realized that one of her legs was half the size of the other one. And she had been running on it nonstop. So then at this point, she ends up going to the orthopedic doctor and she found that her femur was actually broken. She was running on a broken femur for at least six months. And it had atrophied to be half the size of the other leg. And so at that point, she had to, um, it was a, the feet, it was like broken in the area of the hip, I believe as well. So it was like in the side. And so she was in a cast and had to be on bed rest for a long time. The second she got off her cast into a walking cast, uh, the owner of the school said, well, we're going skiing today. You're coming with. And she goes, What? I just, I just got out of my cast and he said, no, you're coming with us. And so they went to the mountain and, uh, she was going very slowly down the slopes, like very, very slowly. And he said, I want you to go straight down the mountain right now, or you're going to be in big trouble. And so she did what she was told. She went straight down the mountain. She fell, um, her, it rebroke and it rebroke so bad that, um, she, so, well, I'll tell you in a second, but on the way home, uh, she got to ride with the owner, which doesn't happen very often. And he stopped at a gas station and bought her a Coke and M&Ms for her silence. Right. And, uh, even though he had caused it, he, they go home and he, he tells all the girls, anyone who touches her, I'll kick your ass. Right. But he had caused this. And, to this day, um, she will never be able to walk normally again. She'll have um, a surgery every year to make sure that she doesn't lose the leg. Um, it's It was catastrophic for her development. So that's one of the one of the ones that is just to this day, just it hurts me to think about. I'm shocked that nobody has gone after this guy for, for child abuse. Me too. That is. That's what it is. Yep. Unfortunately, um, the statute of limitations is up for us. So how many years is that? I'm I'm trying to think because every state is different. Um, I believe anything over 10. I'm not sure for I just Montana. can't believe that uh, even her. Oh, my gosh. Because she's not the only one, though. I mean, no, she's not. I I had such severe medical neglect. I had a double spinal fusion um, after go, because my needs were not met in the program. And so I, I actually have double spinal. There's got to be some kind of civil and or criminal penalties, liabilities that these people. I mean, yep. I mean, these people are doing some bad, bad shit, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, taking kids to the doctor takes a lot of staff to do. So because of the ratios they have to follow. So while I was there, at least like whenever we needed a doctor, we were told no, unless it was really bad, like really bad. Mm. Um, in fact, there was even some wonderful staff who I love to this day who would like defy him and take us to the doctor anyway, <laughs> because she was like, I can't let them not go to the doctor for this. So their own moral compass kept them yep. in line. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, there are good Risk people their jobs there. too yeah there, there's good people in in some dirty industries i mean yes. there's no doubt about that mm -hmm. um unsilenced.org is your website we'll link that in the show notes anywhere else you want people to go online if they want to connect with you on social uh websites, yeah so. 
Yeah. yeah, you can. Well, you can go to me personally. Meg Applegate um, is my Instagram. It's A-P-P-E-L-G-A-T-E. And then uh, you have Unsilenced on on Instagram as well. It's under uh, Unsilenced underscore now is our handle. And yeah, follow us. We're always um, putting some exciting stuff out there. Fantastic. Hey, uh, wishing you all the best. Thank uh, you. Give you a ton of respect to make this your mission. And you're definitely bringing positive impact to so many people throughout the country. Continued blessings to you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate it.